as we listen to God's word this morning. Please let us turn to 1st John and chapter 3. 1st John chapter 3. We've had a, a very difficult week as a church with the two deaths that have been um, announced during the announcements. Um, the, the death of uh, the baby that was born to the circles this week and then also the death of uh, Mr. Kamuza. I was reflecting on the two uh, deaths being from two extreme ends in the sense that one would have been the, the youngest life within Kabwata Baptist Church and the other was the oldest life at Kabwata Baptist Church. Uh, we were debating with uh, Pastor Swale as to who would be the oldest between him and uh, uh, Mr. Lupunga. So I called Mr. Lupunga and asked him for his age and he was two years younger than uh, Mr. Kamuza. So within 24 hours, the Lord seems to have snatched from our midst uh, two lives from two extreme ends. And obviously, the message that comes to my own heart is the fact that uh, death doesn't choose. It doesn't say, well, first of all, you hit the age of 70. You can actually be less than one week old, and your time is up. And therefore, all of us here are prone and vulnerable to being snatched away at any moment. I wanted to therefore digress from 1 John chapter uh, 3 because this is an ongoing series in our messages on Sunday mornings. And uh, so... Uh, I was sort of wrestling over the matter. But the more I looked at our text uh, today, uh, the more I realized that it has relevance to the kind of experience that uh, our friends may have gone through and consequently the kind of experience that all of us will have to go through uh, from time to time. And I will make that point pretty obvious as we proceed. So let me read our text for today. And within its own context, we will read further. So we will read verse 16 down to the end of the chapter. First John chapter 3, verse 16 to the end of the chapter. The Bible reads... By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know 
that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. What we are seeing right across the first epistle of John are various tests to ascertain whether we are truly God's children or not. And I've argued that this is important for two, at least two primary reasons. First of all, it is the fact that um, we need to know that if I die today, where will I go? And not knowing that reality and then finding yourself on the other side, on the wrong side of God, it's too late for you to try and quickly get back and then take the right turn. It is too late. So it's vital that now you should know whether you are a true child of God. The other reason that we have looked at is just that of Christian service. If you don't know that Jesus Christ has saved you, that your sins have been forgiven, how on earth will you go to people and give them good news? What good news will you be sharing with them? You can't say to them that Jesus really saves, Jesus changes hearts, Jesus washes away your sins when you yourself don't know whether that is true in your own life. So assurance of salvation is crucial because it enables you to therefore bear fruit in this life and consequently after you die and you meet with your maker, you will receive your rewards for the service that you would have rendered in this life. It is vital. Now, in the last two sermons, we looked at verse 16 to verse 18. And I mentioned that what those, two, what those verses were all about, it was primarily to do with the, the practical nature of love and hatred. That it's not a philosophical point. You're not sort of sitting there and allowing yourself to use a philometer as it were in your heart to say okay do i really love or do i not it's, it's got nothing to do with that it's very practical your life actually shows it and so he began with the example of love and he said this is how we know love jesus modeled it he laid 
his life for us. He sacrificed his life. He gave his time. He gave his life for us. He says there, well, very well then, go and do likewise. That's love modeled in Christ. And then, how do I know what hatred is? Again, it's not by searching in my own heart. It is by seeing how I respond to those who are needy around us. I have the means, I have the world's goods, and I see a brother who is in need, and I go like this in my heart. No, I won't. Well, he's saying, there is hatred for you. You don't need to be a genius to realize that that's the way you show hatred. Now, remember what I said last time. We tend to think of hatred in terms of I've taken a dagger and I've put it through your, your, your ribs. But it's, that's the worst end of hatred. The opposite end is when it is a sin of omission. When I don't do for you what I can see with my own eyes, you need and I know I have the capacity to meet it. And so he says, little children, let's not love in word and talk. You know, just saying, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. Don't. Let's do it in practice. Let's do it in truth. Well, today, we begin looking at the first of two situations and how to handle them. The first of two situations and how to handle them. And both of them arise from the previous passage of this scripture. And what are they? Well, it is, as it says at the beginning of verse 20, for whenever our hearts condemn us, and what it says at the beginning of verse 21, beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us. In other words, these are two situations that will often occur from time to time. One is where your conscience troubles you, and it troubles you primarily along these lines. Surely, you are not a Christian. Because if you're a Christian, you could not have done what you did. So whatever claim that you might have, you're not a Christian, you're going to hell. And it's happening inside you. You are wrestling with it. It's not a, a person sitting opposite you condemning you, it is your own heart condemning you. What do you do about that? And then, the other is where your own heart is at peace. It's full of assurance. You're a child of God. Your sins are forgiven. You're going to heaven. What do you do about that? So this morning, we're dealing with the first one. And one of the reasons why I think it is relevant to the situation that we've just gone through in this church will soon become apparent. The Apostle John clearly is drawing our attention to an all-important fact. And it is this, that one vital anchor when we are in doubt concerning our true state before God, one vital anchor is the love with which we have responded to the needs of others. Notice, I'm not saying it's the only anchor. I am saying it is one anchor. However, I am saying it is a vital anchor. 
one vital anchor when we are in doubt concerning our spiritual state before God is the love with which we have responded to the needs of others. This is the main argument in this new paragraph as he deals with the issue of confidence or lack of confidence. Notice the way verse 16, rather verse 19 begins. By this we shall know. Now, what is this this that he is referring to? It is what he has just been teaching in verse 16 down to verse 18. It is this which I have just explained. By this we shall know. In fact, we can even suggest that we can go all the way back to verse 11. Because beginning from verse 11, he's been arguing that love for Christians, not just anybody everywhere, but love for Christians, is one way in which we know that we are God's children. Now, He has shown the practical nature of that love in verse 16 down to verse 18. And what he is saying is that this, which we've just talked about, is the way in which we know that indeed we are the children of God. And one way in which we can tell that that's what he has in mind is the way in which he describes being a Christian. How does he describe it? Look back at verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. Now, John, come on. Is that the way you describe a Christian? That you are of the truth? Well, yes. The reason why he's using that description is because of the way he ended verse 18. Look at the way he ended verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed and in truth. There it is. So he is using this truth as the, the picture of belonging to God. God is truth. God is light. God is transparent. God is the one who does not function in hypocrisy and deceit and so on and so forth. No, he is a God of integrity. He is what he says he is. So if God says, I love you, he actually loves in truth, in practice. From the heart he loves and outwardly he loves. There's no contradiction in God. Well, he's saying, if we are God's children, that's the way we ought to be. And he's saying, this is how we know that we belong to the truth. That we are of the truth. It is the fact that our words and our actions go together. We love with our words. We also love with our actions. That's the way in which we know we belong to the truth. But it doesn't simply stop at us knowing. He's saying that's the way we also reassure ourselves that we belong to him. Verse 19 again. 
By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Now, that phrase, reassure, is actually an important one. Because not all our versions have that phrase. Some versions say, this is how we set our hearts at rest. The idea there is that you were once assured, and obviously it has to do with the time when you became a Christian, but something has happened in your life that has disturbed that assurance, that has brought in doubts. So you are there now in your own heart and you're asking the question, am I a Christian or am I not? Because of some circumstances. And John is saying here, including himself, this is how we reassure our hearts. And this is the way we reassure our hearts before God. In other words, here I am, I'm alone, not People are not talking to me and we are arguing, but I'm alone and I am as it were looking into the face of God. And something has caused me to doubt that I am a Christian. This is the way I reassure myself. This is the way I say to my heart, be at rest. God has made you his child. Now friends, as I hope to show in a moment, life on earth will bring us to that point from time to time when we will need to reassure ourselves. When we will need to argue with our hearts. When the heart is saying, no, you are not, and you are saying, yes, I am, and no, you are not, and yes, I am. And that's what I want us to think about in a moment now. Because he goes on to tell us about this at the beginning of verse 20. For whenever our hearts condemn us, whenever our heart condemns us, those moments when the heart is saying guilty, guilty, condemnation, condemnation, you deserve to go to hell. Now John here is using the word heart in a way that he normally doesn't. Usually, the picture of heart in the Bible refers to the center of our beings. In other words, it is the source of all our actions, the source of our motives, the heart. Out of the heart comes all these evil things, and those are the things that defile us. Out of the heart. The heart of man is wicked. It is sinful. In other words, the center of human life and living. John here uses the word heart rather differently. He's using it 
in, in terms of referring to what we, ref, we call the human conscience. So it's not so much the center that makes you you, but he's sort of removing you and putting you here, and then he's still saying something about you. And it is that which is inside you that somehow turns against you. Your heart condemning who? You. Your heart condemning you. And that's what our consciences do. There you are, alone, on your bed at night. Nobody is talking to you. But your pillow becomes as hard as a rock. Why? You're arguing with yourself on the inside. You're saying, I'm a child of God. And inside you, someone, something, is saying, mm -mm, you are not. And you try to argue a little bit, but somehow inside you, there's that somehow that's continuing to accuse to condemn, to argue in the opposite direction. That's what he's referring to here. Do you ever experience this? Especially when you are alone, everybody else is gone. They like the picture of being alone in your bed at night. The lights are off. It's dark. You're having communion with yourself inside your own heart. And somehow you are disturbed. Maybe it's because you are reflecting on the day. And you know you sinned against God. You know it. And as you are there, that same thought is, is, is making you doubt. In fact, often that's the trick that the evil one uses against us, doesn't he? He first of all tempts you. Come on, just, just this once. Just, just, just once, once. Just one time. Just. And when you bite, he quickly turns around and says, <laughs> and there you were. You were claiming to be a Christian. Do Christians do this? And Tortures you now the whole night. You claim to be saved. Look! But sometimes it's not so much that you've sinned today, but it is when you are going through a prolonged period of trial. A prolonged period of trial. I mean, think of our brother who left us this week on Thursday morning, Mr. Kamoza. He had been sick for quite some time. I think he hadn't been to church at least for six months, if not a year. And there you are, going downhill. You've prayed, going downhill. you fasted, going downhill. Others have come, they've encouraged you, they've prayed, they've fasted together with you, going downhill. 
You begin to ask questions. How come the Lord is not answering my prayers? How come? And even more so when now it seems to be clear that you may not have long to live. You are as it were looking death in the face. That's when the evil one comes with the full attack as it were. Because previously you could afford to be theoretical in your belief of your own salvation. But now the next item on the agenda is death and judgment. You begin to ask, am I really a Christian? And the evil one is very quick at that point to say no. And so your heart condemns you. Oh, let's think of our friends that circles. There they are. Newborn, baby born. New baby born. Suddenly sick. And you begin to pray and pray and pray. And as it were, do all you can to knock on the doors of heaven. And then you are told the baby is gone. Lord, why? We prayed. Does it mean we don't have access to you? Could it be we are not saved? And again I repeat, the evil one can use these circumstances to bring us to that point of doubt point of, of self-condemnation. Maybe I'm not a Christian after all. Maybe I have been deceiving myself. Do you ever experience situations like this? Where either because of sin or because of frowning providence, your heart begins to condemn you. It may not be death. It could be lack of finances for school. And consequently, you now have had to stop school. And here you are. You've prayed. You've asked the Lord. Lack of employment. You've pleaded, Lord. And it's been months. It's going into years. At such a time, you need an anchor. At such a time, you need a strong anchor to hang on to. You need to be able to say to your own heart, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of light walking in darkness. Arguing with your own heart. That though the outward circumstances may speak differently, there is something that cannot be completely overlooked. And what is that? Here is the argument. 
verse 20. For whenever our hearts condemn us, two arguments. First of all, God is greater than our heart. Second argument, God knows everything. Let's quickly think about those two arguments. And they are vital because, brethren, we will all be there. It's a matter of time. If you haven't yet been. The first argument that John uses here, God is greater than our hearts, is, is the argument that we, we, we find in our judicial system. Our judicial system has different levels of courts. There's, there's the, the local court, there's the magistrate's court, there is the, um, the high court, and finally there's the supreme court. The, the lower courts can condemn you. They can find you guilty. But if you are still convinced you are not, you can appeal to a higher court. Until the Supreme Court, when the Supreme Court still says you are guilty, that's it. Case closed. You are guilty. You must consequently pay the price. So what John is saying here is that your heart, yes, is condemning you. Yes, it's raising all these doubts. Yes, it is a court that is as it was speaking to you. But there is a higher court. God himself. He is greater than our sin, our hearts. So our hearts speak. God also speaks. Our hearts are saying, because you've done this, you are not a Christian. Because of these frowning providences, you are not a Christian. But what does God say? He is the supreme court. What does he say? And this is what the point is making. God says, if you love the brethren, you are a Christian. That's what he says. Therefore, when these two voices are speaking to me, I then let that which God says remain supreme and I use it to reassure my heart. I say to that little voice within me, yes, I did wrong today. I shouldn't have done it. God forgive me. But oh, as I look at the life that I've been living, how else can you explain a life that loves the people of God? Such a love does not grow out of natural soil. It doesn't. He who has not been saved loves himself, lives for himself, lives for sin. But here I look back and I see in all honesty... A heart that loves and cherishes the people of God. That sacrifices, that gives, that prays for God's people. Explain to me how a fallen heart can love this way. Because the higher court, the supreme court of heaven is the one that says, 
If you love the brethren, you have gone from death to life. You've gone. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. That's what the Supreme Court says. Therefore, we use this to argue with our hearts in those moments of doubt. But here is his second argument. And it is this. That God knows everything. God knows everything. And this is where the human Supreme Court falls on one side and this supreme court of the universe is on another. Because the human supreme court can still condemn you because some clever judges, rather some clever lawyers, manage to twist things and weave wool around the five, I think it is, judges that sit together in our supreme court. They can easily do that. Or because a bit of money has sort of exchanged hands. But here we're talking in terms of lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. The judges are completely dependent on the information they are being given. God knows all things. He knows all things. Yes, he knows I have sinned. No doubt about it. But he knows more than that. He knows my heart. He knows that which nobody else knows. He knows my secret prayer times. What I I do when I'm alone in my closet and I'm crying out to the Lord. How I cry out for his children. He knows it. He knows my anonymous giving. The way in which behind the scenes I'm helping God's children financially. Other people may not know it, but God knows all things. He knows my sacrifice in terms of time. How there are other priorities that I would have gone for. But because it is a child of God who is in need, I I cancel those other priorities and, and pour my time into the lives of God's children. They don't know what I have canceled in order for me to be there for them. But you know, God knows. He knows all things. And therefore, I can speak to my heart and say, don't worry. Don't worry. The judge of all the universe knows everything. He will judge based on that knowledge. Those are the two arguments he's saying there. That because I have loved in truth, I can rest knowing that the God who knows the truth is the God of the Supreme Court. And therefore come the final day of judgment and I stand before him. That's the God who will say, well done, good and faithful servant. I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was sick and in prison. You visited me. 
Even my own memory may not remember all that. I'll be saying to him, Lord, when? When were you all these things and I did these things to you? The God who knows all things will tell me when you did it for the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Now, brethren, the importance, therefore, of these studies in assurance of salvation can be seen from even the events of this past week. Because you can be sure that all of us who are here, in a few years' time, we will not be here. We will be part of history. And that's not because we've all grown old. A baby of less than one week was taken from this life. God in sovereignty has numbered the days of our lives. And one day we will be looking death in the face. And all to be able at that time to say, Oh death, where is your victory? Oh grave, where is your sting? What a blessed assurance you want to have. You want to have. You want to have. Or there will be prayers that you will offer to God. And you pray and pray and pray. And the heavens will be as though they are made of brass. 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 Praying for school fees. Praying for a job. Praying for health. When you are in a period of sickness, or a loved one is in a period of sickness, and you're praying, and it's as though it's brass. The evil one takes advantage of that. Takes advantage of it. Here's the question. When your time of trial comes, and Satan brings his doubts, what anchor will you have? What anchor? Now it's very easy to say, well, you know, I'll say I, I walked to the front, I repeated a sinner's prayer, I signed the decision card, you know, that year, 1978. That's not good enough. The question is, what has been happening between 1978 and now? What has been happening? Eh? The question is, have you lived a life that when you read a book like First John, your heart is saying, yes, 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 that's me. This is what has happened to me. We don't even need to go back that far. Because most of you are people that have professed faith in the recent past. You don't need to go back that far. Just ask the question, what has been the last one week like? In fact, we don't even need to go all the way back seven days. There's already been a situation in our midst, two situations that we're speaking about. A young couple among us lost a baby. 
Has that made you change anything? Did you pray for them? Have you sent them a message saying, oh, we've heard about it. We are crushed. We're praying for you. Have you moved anything around? Try and just quickly hurry there and, and say we are here for you. What do you need? What can we do for you? The oldest member of our church died. There it is again. Have you done anything? Has, has anything changed? Were you there for him in the prolonged period of his illness? I'm aware that announcements were being made here week after week. Mr. Kamuza is unwell. Mr. Kamuza is unwell. Mr. Kamuza is unwell. And believe you me, he was living in the next street. It can't be closer. In the next street. If you go like this, the first two houses you'll hit, and then the next one, Bolly Street, you find yourself in his home. It never make you say, okay, today, instead of going home, straight home, you know, it, it bothers me. He's a child of God. Let me pass the greeting. Spend a few moments with him. Buy a gateway card. Fill it in. Drop it off. Assure him of my prayers. Send him a message. In these days, you don't even need to make a phone call. Text message. Brethren, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Our lives will be reviewed. God will see whether we ever really, really, really loved his children. And if he finds that there was no move whatsoever, we only love when it's completely, completely convenient. No sacrifice. No inconvenience. It doesn't matter what we will say. He's seen it all. Even if Pastor Mbewe calls you a Christian, God is greater than Pastor Mbewe. He will still say in the highest court of heaven the evidence I have seen you are not my child. Get away from here. You can deceive Pastor Mbewe by your brilliant smiles at the door. Powerful sermon, Pastor. Wonderful, wonderful. Oh, you are we're touched, touched. God knows all things. He knows all things. He knows what's happening in our hearts. He knows all those details. And shakes his head and says, that's all just hypocrisy. This person still lives for himself, lives for herself, lives for sin. Wait for that day when I'll say, away from me, I never knew Oh, friends, this is the time to use the tests of scripture to test whether you are truly converted. 
These are practical subjects. Very practical. And this week, God has put us to the test. He has. Make sure you are saved. Make sure. Make sure you are saved. Take this test seriously. Thankfully, for many, this week itself would have again been another argument by which you reassure your heart. You reassure your heart. I'm a child of God. Why else would I be interested in the Chisekos? Why else would I be interested in, in a Mr. Kamuza? Why else would I be interested? As if I would benefit anything. Why else? Except this. They are your children. Because they are children, my heart is moved with tender compassion towards them. But on the other hand, if you fail the test, go to Christ. Go to Jesus Christ and ask him to truly save you. Say to him, Lord, I'm still so sinfully selfish. Life is still about me. Church is about me and what I can get out of church. It's still my old sinful self. Jesus, you have saved others. Save me too. Plead with him until you can see a heart that's changed. A heart that is now facing God. Wanting to worship him, to love him, to serve him. A heart that changes and faces others, the children of God, and wanting to be a blessing to them at whatever cost to yourself. And when you see that, you'll be able to say, that's not me. I know myself. I know the way I've grown up. That's not me. It's a work of grace in my soul. I may not be perfect therefore. Here, there, well over there, I have failed my God. But this is evidence that God has saved. And you will use it to reassure yourself in those dark moments. The Lord has saved me. Oh, thank God that when he does, it's a real work. You can testify of it.